Developments in immersive technology are helping to grow the potential reach, improve user experience, and open up new possibilities for creators. However, there is a potential to be dazzled by the tech and lose focus on what is important, the user and the experience. On the 10th of March 2021, I spoke to Peter Gardham, director at This Great Adventure, a company working with organizations, including museums and heritage sites, to develop engaging immersive experiences, but with a clear focus on the story and the audience, not the technology. So, uh, Peter, fantastic to speak to you again. Thank you very much for taking the time to join us. Um, so just to start off, really, can you just introduce yourself, um, give us a little bit about who you are, and maybe also give us an introduction on to what got you into the use of immersive media and immersive technologies? Sure thing. And thank you for having me. Um, so, yeah, my name is Peter Gardam, and I'm director at uh, This Great Adventure um, and also at another company called uh, TGA Com. Um, and our background is for about the last 30 years, not personally, but the company um, has been uh, responsible for kind of master planning and developing visitor experiences um, with cultural, uh, cultural organizations. So that's a mixture of museum exhibitions and cultural festivals um and all that kind of scales from independent kind of art installations through to major kind of national and international events like the world expo um so our job is to kind of understand and articulate the core narrative and the vision and aims of uh, of of the client um and then to develop the strategy and kind of direct and oversee the work of specialist uh delivery partners um a lot of whom are artists and technologists, but there's also researchers and um, understanding the needs of the public and the audiences as well. Um, and then around, so as I say, TGA Com has been going for about 30 years. Um, and then in 2018, we launched uh, This Great Adventure, which is kind of the digital spin-off of that, that company, looking at, uh, I suppose, the, the, the future of engagement and storytelling um, using these these new technologies in um, a more integrated way, and especially with the the rise of smartphones um, and users being able to bring their own interactive devices um, into those spaces, um, and thinking about what the impact is really for how you go about planning these experiences and how you develop content uh, that's kind of relevant, accessible, and engaging for those audiences. Um, so. In terms of interactive and immersive storytelling, that's kind of kind of the heart of the work that we do. Um, and that started kind of obviously long before the smartphone and things like that existed. Um, and so when we're thinking about a visitor experience, say a museum exhibition, um, it's an inherently immersive experience because you're you're telling a story through space and time. Um, and doing that with a range of media uh, from traditional media like texted images and audio uh, through to interactive touch screens and then the development of projection mapping um, and kind of interactive, that, that more immersive way of transforming a space using different technologies. Um, I suppose the, the, one of the earliest examples that we did around this kind of pre-digital to a certain extent was with the uh, Natural History Museum, 
um, where it was kind of, it was the dinosaurs gallery there. Um, and the idea was how do you make these effectively, these kind of dry bones on a shelf um, at a very kind of academic subject, um, how can we make that accessible and engaging to modern audiences? Um, and as with a lot of our work, regardless of the technology that you're using, for us, it all comes back to like the core narrative, um, the, the actual story you're trying to tell, and then understanding how audiences like to uh, explore and learn um, and kind of balancing those two things. So the thing that the organization is trying to say needs to be delivered in a way that will engage those audiences. Um, and at the Natural History Museum, that was a really interesting mix of working with artists and robotics to develop these kind of animatronic dinosaurs. So bringing those as kind of still artifacts to life um, and a range of other techniques as well. So it was kind of we wanted to to link modern animals to these these prehistoric animals. Um, and so the, the, the real concept all revolved around a single question which was, are dinosaurs like animals living today? Um, and the process of taking that as your starting point led to a whole range of interesting kind of design and technical um, uh, outcomes uh, or approaches. And one of them was things like only showing dinosaurs at one-to-one -one scale. So you're not kind of distancing people from the reality of, of those, those creatures. Um, and then as time went on in kind of in 2007, obviously the, um, the iPhone was released, the first iPhone and the kind of the real uh, kickstart of the smartphone revolution around that time, um, at which point we, uh, we recognized the, the power that those, those technologies, companion technologies have to create access to information and to deliver experiences. Um, and we actually built a, um, a web platform uh, at that point, which was for location-based digital storytelling. Um, and so the idea was that any organization could set up an account and basically through using the CMS could map a whole range of different stories and create a whole range of trails and then curate a set of content that was relevant to that particular location. Um, and that's been going, as I say, since about 2008, and we've kind of updated it a few times since then. Um, and then more recently, the kind of the advent of augmented reality and the kind of advancement of these phones, and actually the fact that far more people have access to these phones um, in places all around the world, they have this kind of leapfrog uh, kind of effect um, led us to thinking about what goes what what do these new types of technologies mean for you know access to museum collections for example what does this this big drive that these cultural organizations have been doing to digitize their collections um, the focus has been on the digitization, not on what you then do with those assets once you've got them. Um, so we've been uh, kind of collaborating with a range of different technologists recently um, to think about how how augmented reality can, you know, do things like 
taking a museum outside of the walls of that space. Um, so there's a range of a range of different ways that these types of, especially location-based storytelling, are able to transform where and how you can actually encounter um, these cultural stories and cultural assets. And then the effect of putting those assets in different places um, and what impact that has on the audience um, who's, who's there experiencing that, but also on the content itself. Um, so if you, take a, um, if you take an object out of the museum and put it back into the street where it was dug up or um, into a classroom, for example, in a, in a far more interactive way, then the things that you can do with that object then become different. Um, and I think this is, that's one of the things that's been really interesting over the last couple of years is seeing the evolution in the thinking around a digital version of a museum collection, whether that's a photograph or a high resolution 3D scan of something, not thinking about that just as the digital twin of that real thing, but it's an object in its own right. And the way that you can use that and stitch it together with other things um, and actually give access to other people to play with it themselves and see what they would come up with um, is starting to starting to take root. Although there's, there's still a bit of a, a gatekeeper mentality in a lot of these organizations um, and the idea of actually giving, giving communities the, the voice to, to speak about uh, these objects in their own way. Um, can be can be a, a scary thought uh, to to kind of lose control of that narrative, um, but the, I think the the benefits of doing that are are huge. You know, um, no, it's fantastic. And like some of the projects you've worked on, um, so the uh, virtual historic Dublin City project, for example, I thought that was really quite innovative and a really good example of how to utilize AR to kind of help develop the narrative and to help people better explore that kind of history of a location, something that maybe people don't know about and kind of they get to explore it in a unique way. So, I mean, you've, you've worked on various projects. I mean, what, what would you say would be one of the standout projects you've worked on um, and why might that be? Um, I'd say in terms of standout projects, I mean, as, as you mentioned, the Dublin project is, is fascinating. And that's, that's, that's been fascinating for a, a number of reasons because it's, it's been going on for a couple of years. So we started, we kicked it off in early 2018. Um, and it started with the Office of Public Works, who are kind of like Historic England or the National Trust. Um, they manage about 130 properties. Um, and it was uh, an R&D competition. So they basically, they had uh, an aerial LIDAR scan and photo survey taken from across the city. Um, and as with so many, so many organizations, they, they have these digital assets, but they didn't really know what to do with it. And so the competition was basically starting with this data set. What can you do to engage visitors with the story, the story of Dublin Castle and the historic city? Um, and that started with a collaboration with UCL, um, CASA, the Centre for Advanced Spatial Analysis there, um, and was a range of, of, of early stage uh, kind of development around 
visualizing that data for starter, um, but then how to deliver that over the web in a way that was lightweight, um, could be accessed on, on mobile phones. Um, and one of the things that came out of that, a wonderful chap called Valerio Signorelli, um, developed a way of um, effectively, it was, it was real-time visualization of point clouds through the web um, so that no one's device was kind of forced to, to hold a huge amount of download, a huge amount of data. Um, and you could then, yeah, as you say, kind of the bit of the model that you're looking at at any given moment using your device is the bit that's visualized and the rest of the data isn't, isn't being pulled down. Um, and so that was, that was fascinating looking at optimizing these very heavy data sets um, to make them more shareable um, and then layering or embedding content within that that kind of spoke to the what those different buildings were and the different areas um, and then kind of integrating uh, live data sets so location-based data from the Dublin data portal um, and linking so you ended up with ended up with open street maps and then a layer of historic maps from the archives and then a range of data sets that you could toggle on and off to see you know the shapes of buildings or the locations of different monuments or within particular date ranges um, and then the next step on from that was actually nesting different models inside of that model um, so you ended up with the kind of the large the large perspective of dublin city and the castle and then we wanted to go down a level as well into the the actual buildings themselves um, and then nesting further again down into the the street level view um, and so one of the things we did was to use a gopro 360 we wanted to see how quickly you could create an interactive virtual model of uh of one of the courtyards in dublin castle um, and so we used a gopro GoPro 360 and uh, photogrammetry process, and um, you know, and that was that was really interesting to see that within a couple of hours you can have a accurate, working, and kind of interactive model of a heritage space. Um, then. So yeah, so that was that was a process of kind of visualization and optimization and and working out what the kind of the least amount of processing power you might need to develop a, an engaging experience. Um, and then after that, we we were kind of redirected to look at the the actual on-site visitor experience itself, um, and thinking is particularly with heritage organizations and heritage sites there usually there's three kind of constant themes that will almost always run through um, a project um, and depending on who the client is and how you want to approach those there's an infinite number of ways to do that um, but this idea of people places and things um, and using the augmented reality to you know bring characters to life from the past so that you could actually hear hear from their perspective about what the world was like um, and then using 3d scanning to take objects from the collection um, and then place them around the the heritage site um, 
And then in terms of places, thinking about revealing those connections between Dublin, Castle and other places in the city or other historic sites around, um, around Ireland. Um, so that was, that was phase two. And then phase three um, was kind of an interesting shift again, because it moved from delivering a, a kind of a bespoke visitor experience into how do you democratize access to that process of digital storytelling? Um, and so instead of, and it's one of, one of the issues I've found a lot with this sector is so many things are developed as bespoke one-off projects. Um, and it's much harder to, when you're looking at an organization like OPW, for example, or a group of museums, either based in a region or in a city or other, um, thinking about how can you develop a tool that all of them can get benefit from and all of them can feed into the development of, um, and which is where we're, we're kind of at now, which is developing a, uh, effectively a, a, an AR trails platform. Uh, it's a story making platform. Um, and it's, it's an idea we've, we've had for a while in a range of, in a range of different ways. Um, and what's interesting now is, so with the, the web-based platform that we built in 2008, um, kind of at the time, there, there wasn't really anything doing that. And so you had to go through a, a whole process of explaining to people that there was a thing called the mobile internet and smartphones can access information and so on. Um, now, of course, we don't have to do that. That's kind of second knowledge like uh, uh, to everyone. Um, and the process has been uh, shifted, I suppose, to thinking about what happens beyond the stories that you tell. And if you can, if something is non-linear, for example, then what difference, how do you then have to change the narrative and change the tone of voice, especially um, to, to convey that story? Um, and I suppose today you've got the rise of big platforms like Google Arts and Culture, and you know I've just been chatting with the guys at Explorer app, um, and there's you know technically there are some absolute geniuses around there who are who are building these kind of these very complicated platforms, um, but the bit that's still often overlooked um, is the the process of telling the story and developing that story in a way that is meaningful and effective, um, which is where kind of our focus has moved slightly away from the most advanced technologically kind of advanced platform to something that really focuses on the human in interaction with that process. Um, Cause we feel that that's kind of where the, where it's omitted at the moment. Um, and so many, so many projects are kind of, uh, you know, derailed or, or entirely kind of destroyed by bad, incoherent storytelling. Um, and the technology itself doesn't have to be that advanced to, to achieve what you want to achieve. Um, it's more about that, the really interesting combination of technologies and techniques, um, I think, which is, which is where, where our focus is, is on. Um, so there's a, a project I'm developing at the moment with 
a group called uh, Peculiar Tours. Um, and they do kind of dramatic tours around around London. They did one for Halloween around kind of Highgate. And you, 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 you're taken around in a group and there's a, a narrator who kind of guides you. And at various points along the route, actors jump out and perform little roles and, and dramatize the story a little bit. And then you stop off at a pub and have a quiz halfway through, all of these kind of things. Um, and thinking about what the, firstly, in terms of the experience of being on the tour, um, because now obviously the social distancing and kind of limited groups is a thing. So you can only have like up to six people. Um, and so the value of the experience has to be, has to be greater. Um, and one of the things we're looking at is how to integrate um, projection into that experience. Um, and, you know, like something potentially like the narrator has a lantern with a projector in it. And when you stop to do your storytelling bit, if he was talking about the Great Fire of London, then you'd have flames projected up the wall behind you. Um, and you can also bring in other pieces of like short video shorts and things just to just to liven up the experience a bit so that people are, are getting a multimedia kind of uh, 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 trail tour. Um, and, and then the other side of that as well is, I suppose, looking more at the, the higher tech end of things um, is we're starting to work a lot more with the new depth kit. Um, so developing, yeah, this we've, we've developed a workflow around uh, creating scripting and creating uh, these volumetric film pieces, so 3D film pieces, um, and placing those into a heritage environment. Um, so we're doing this at the moment with Tamworth Castle. We're developing an AR trail visitor experience there. Um, and interestingly, with that one, uh, at the same time as developing the visitor experience, we're developing a remote educational program. So when we're looking at developing these AR trail experiences, it's not just about it being in the castle, but potentially that being in a classroom context as well. Um, and at the same time, they're going to have a, an explorer room kind of down in the bottom of the castle for people with uh, kind of uh, with accessibility uh, issues. Um, and so, yeah, so this idea of the optimum experience is going to be in this place in the castle in this sequence of activities. But that whole experience is also going to be transported into all of these experiences come together in one room and then potentially some of these experiences get put together in a combination that no one was really predicting in the classroom context. Um, and so the, the, one of the key things there then was flexibility. Um, so recording these volumetric film pieces, <clears throat> we, one of the things we did was to think about what the, the style of that film might be that best supports a kind of flexible approach. Um, and we've come up with a kind of, uh, effectively like a silent movie, um, type effect. So you get this kind of quite old, old worldy, uh, visual experience, but delivered through some of the, the, the most kind of, uh, the latest tech. Um, and so one of the things that does is it means, um, we use this quite a lot with, uh, with the artworks that I do as well, um, of 
recording sound and visual elements separately and then recombining them together. Um, one of the interesting effects that that has is it really helps people to focus on what's being said. And then the visual is something that, that reinforces that as opposed to being the thing that distracts you away from, from the content itself. Um, but uh, yeah, in terms of the, the, the tour, one of the things we're thinking about is how to, people put so much time and effort into developing these, especially these kind of dramatic tour type things. Um, they take months to, to script and rehearse and, and all of that. And then you, you deliver them to a certain number of people and then obviously the season finishes or that, that, that particular run of shows finishes and it's no longer accessible to anyone. So one of the things we're very, we're exploring is how to, how to capture that experience and make it accessible to people in the future. Um, and doing that in a way which as closely as possible replicates the experience of being there um, and having done the actual in-person trail yourself. Um, and augmented reality is, is the, as, as we found like the best approach for doing that. Um, because what you're trying to do is layer, layer content and interactivity and storytelling onto the real world. Um, one of the things, one of the things that we, we, we kind of like to say is like the, the power of the real is why people go to these spaces. Um, and you can't just replace that with digital and think people are going to be going to be happy with that. The digital has to deliver something different and extra. Um, and I think once you've created those those assets in a certain way, then then you 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 open the door for using them in a whole range of different ways in the future. Um, and this is I think this is true with with the volumetric film. Um, so being able to revoice those pieces at any point in the future to say something different, to put them in a different location. Um, and the same, the same goes with uh, 360 photography and film, I think. Um, I, the, the most, or lots, not most, lots of uh, museums and organizations are now creating these kind of 360 interactive virtual tours of their space. Um, and the majority of them seem to be just placing the content that was in the museum into these virtual spaces. And, you know, that's a, that's a great first step. You want to make that content accessible to people, but you've got the assets. So now we can experiment with totally different types of storytelling and performance and programming using those, uh, using those assets. Um, so you can imagine creating, working with, people to do creative writing pieces responding to things in in that museum and embedding that as a separate type of experience or recording poetry that's linked to particular things within that museum and just changing changing the the type of organization the way people think about you as an organization by the type of stories that you tell no it's it's really gonna i mean <laughs> I, there's so many points that you raise there and so many things you talk about. I could probably spend all day talking about them. But I mean, some of the things that I think are really important that you highlighted there is not necessarily using technology for technology's sake. And I think that's a tripping point that a lot of creators and companies are falling over themselves. They're 
they're applying lots of new and upcoming technology without really understanding the reasons why. But you've actually kind of taken the approach of scaling it back and really taking story first and thinking about the end output, the the impact on the end user, the visitor to that location, um, and what it is that you really want to achieve, rather than just throwing technology at it. But yet, you are still using things like volumetric capture because it's useful in the context of the story you're trying to tell. Do you think there there is a uh, an issue where if we continue to follow the technology and not necessarily consider the storytelling as a whole, that we may end up falling out of love for immersive content and immersive storytelling? Mm. That is an interesting thing. I mean, I think there's possibly that that is a, that is always always a danger. You know, like technology for technology's sake is is it wears people out. You know, like it's it's not an experience that is that responds naturally to the way people engage with spaces. They can do in in the future, I imagine, as these things get smarter and wearables become more prevalent. Then that kind of integration that human computer interaction is going to is going to is going to change and and evolve um i think well kind of one of our things with with this great adventure is like our our kind of subtitle whatever you want to call it is digital thinking from storytelling people it's not we will build you an app or we will do this it's no 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 there's there's a strategy that will work for you and depending on the story that you're trying to tell, you know, at a certain point in that development process, the right technologies will become obvious. But if you start with, you start with a piece of technology, then you, you know, it's that that old thing of like, if all you got to hammer, then every problem looks like a nail. Um, I think. Well, one of the things is that that the technology advances so fast that to a certain extent i mean and definitely at the moment you know even technologies that people working at the forefront of these technologies you know for them stuff is kind of a lot of these things are pretty old hat you know it's kind of oh that was 10 years ago we were developing that for museums and cultural organizations especially this is still magic um and i think that's one of the really really interesting things is yes the technology is going to keep developing at rapid speeds and to a certain extent that's absolutely fine um i think you know it's it's like with theoretical physics or anything like that you just go you've got people pushing at the boundaries you don't quite know what the value of that is yet but the fact people are doing it at some point in the future people are going to find uses for all of these things um, and stitch them together in in different ways i think one of the things we're seeing with with the storytelling side of it is that people are, and, and you know, cause we're, we are a storytelling organization. Like that's part of the way that we think is that we know that there are 30 different ways to tell a story and you can convey this information. If you stitch it together in different ways, then it has a different effect. If you change the tone that has a different effect, all of these things. And that's kind of one of our roles is, is like understanding and kind of articulating the consequences of particular decisions for a client. Um, in terms of the research side of things, I've definitely noticed that 
people who are working in these technologies and especially in game development i think is is one of the key ones are noticing that because of the way the technology works traditional potentially quite linear types of storytelling don't really aren't the best form for that and so there's kind of there's a bit of a revelation in tech circles around oh we could we could do nonlinear storytelling we can we can create these kind of cyclical um, feedback stories and all sorts of things, um, which is which is fascinating. And it's 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 interesting to see them being put out there as isn't this isn't this odd and strange? Who'd have thought of doing this? Where you know, kind of from our line of work, coming from using technology as a means to an end, then you know, like our our thinking is already kind of going. Okay, so what is the best form of story for this? What is the best kind of meta narrative and the structure that sits behind it? Okay, if that's the case, then these elements are important. So with Tamworth, for example, character is is a really important part of it. And it's it's part of how the castle engages with its audiences and has always engaged with its audiences. They're very big on costume interpretation and facilitation. Um, and kind of really trying to bring that history to life in a in a in a in a very kind of human way, um, and so characters was one of the the important things to to bring into this digital. Um, and looking at that, there were a range of ways that it could be done. And then you know we we kind of we came across depth kit and thought ah well what better way to record people and bring those characters to life in a space over and over again than to actually record them in 3D so that people can 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 do that. So it's it's as it's as close to having a real person there doing the thing as possible. But it then creates a whole range of opportunities to play with the effects, to play with the animatics and the sequencing of how those people appear. Um, and thinking about the kind of the narrative framework, because it's a lot of it's about memory. Um, and kind of bringing these memories to life. So, like, how do you then represent that part of the storytelling through the script and through the the actual design of those digital experiences? So, I'd say I've gone a little on a little tangent there. Um, but uh, yeah, in terms, I'd say, you know, I think people are there are tech people whose focus is the technology and how far can I push this and this is new and different. And then there are other, other organizations, I'd say more like ours, you know, which is if this is the story, which of those technologies do I want to stitch together to achieve that? Um, yeah. So I don't think there's a, there's a, a risk or anything. Um, I think a lot of people are, because and I mean, and it's, it's, it's a shame, but it's, it's kind of true, I suppose, is that a lot of these, like the most advanced stuff um, is being used for commercial, uh, commercial experiences. So I think it's more a, it's less a risk of people kind of falling out of love, out of love with those technologies. And it's more a risk of those technologies being used most often to try and get you to be friends with yogurt or to spend more money on shoes, um, which absolutely fine they've got the money to spend on these things but you know we get the benefits of that a couple of years down the line by going 
ah, cool. Now that all that shiny technology has been used by whoever to sell you whatever, we can now take that and it's been made accessible in a range of different ways. And it now actually integrates with these other systems in a way that it didn't before. Um, and then you can use the same technologies to, to tell a meaningful story as well. Um, not that you can't tell a meaningful story about shoes. Absolutely can. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, um, so recent announcements from Apple, of course, around their development of AR glasses and AR headsets and things. Um, it, it reminds me of when smart devices, um, smartphones first started making an appearance. And of course, um, initially the price uh, bracket meant it was inaccessible for most consumers um and that caused a huge barrier to adoption initially that then dropped as the technology developed and of course it became more accessible to consumers which meant more people had smart devices on them to then kind of experiment to film uh standard video content themselves then you had the kind of generation of user generated content you could build con communities around that and then of course like kind of integration of ar 360 video content things like that and it, 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 yeah, you're correct in the, the sense that um, it takes a couple of years for this to filter down to make it more accessible and to break down those those barriers of adoption around kind of cost. Um, but do you think that potentially we are siloing off too many people in the first instance by making technology unaffordable or inaccessible? And is it a case of less, less focus needs to be on the new and more around kind of what is stable, what's here already that everyone can access? Um, I mean, I think there's, I think there's room, there's space for, for, for both. Um, and I think one of the, one of the things that I found through through doing developing these types of projects is the absolute joy of collaboration um, because because people people bring different expertise and different ways of thinking um, and again I think it, it to a certain extent it kind of comes down to what what are you trying to achieve um, because for different different types of partners and projects then you know, thinking about the future of this technology, it's kind of, if this is what it can do now, what might this do? Or how would we achieve the, the next level of this experience? Um, and there's some, I mean, an interesting example of that, I think, is um, kind of using AR for navigation and wayfinding inside buildings. Um, so obviously, Google has got their kind of AR street view type thing, um, which does you a bit of directional uh, 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 navigational work for you. Um, but thinking about that in terms of, for example, the British Museum or another kind of large space, um, that ability to guide people between bits of content and to draw connections out in a new way um, is has the potential to be very kind of transformative in, in a whole range of ways. Um, I think you're always going to get early adopters. Um, the, the cost barriers absolutely are, are an issue, I would say. Um, 
but I think that's something. Yeah, I th I think that's something that one of the the a, a response to that that I would I would try and pursue would be um, collaborative in the sense that you know and and not in a in a in a short short term thinking kind of way. Um, I think the the some of the best relationships that I've had with with clients is when clients become partners. Um, so there are, I mean, there are some projects we work on that last five, six years, um, from start to finish. And that by the end of that, you know, each other really, really well, and you can start bringing in different technologies and playing with them in different ways. Um, that, you know, it, it, it starts to change the thinking of that organization and who they think who how they describe themselves and then how they then act that out in the world um and i think with yeah yeah with this this kind of support for these longer term collaborative relationships i think is something that has the potential to um make better use of emerging technologies um and i would say a kind of a, a thing that sits alongside that is a changing of the way that organizations especially smaller independent and like local or regional organizations the way that they um it's not procurement but it's the the power of collective bargaining you know so this idea that you have maybe in a small town you have four museums that are independent of each other. <clears throat> no one of them on their own could afford access to particular technologies or high level consultancy. But as a group, they have the potential to pool their resources and start engaging with people, creating access for themselves to things that, um, that individually they wouldn't be able to do. Um, yeah. So, I say collaboration and, and collective bargaining are two two potential ways of mitigating the 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 issues around kind of early barriers to access. No, it's really good to hear, and I, I like to hear like on a, a positive note on that in terms of kind of like not seeing these barriers as barriers that we cannot scale, but as barriers that working together collaboratively we can help to. Um, get round if anything um so yeah it's always nice to kind of hear a positive perspective of this because you always hear kind of people talking about barriers to adoption and cost implications and things like that which immediately puts a lot of people off it um so it's it's nice to hear someone say like there are ways around those problems so i mean the last question really for you um now this is probably what my students really want to know is do you have any kind of top tips or things that you've learned through your career and working with this, within this sector that you think would be useful to share? Yeah. Yeah. Useful to share. Um, so I would say firstly, the, one of the, the most important questions that I found useful, um, and it's kind of from right from light bulb to lights on, you know, like it, it runs throughout the process is, is who do you serve? You know, who are you doing this for? 
what do they want and need how do they like to engage with things and what do you want them to think feel and do as a result of engaging with with whatever it is that you're trying to develop um that understanding your audience is absolutely absolutely crucial um i would say as well that um in terms of in terms of interfacing with clients the the need to find a find a common language um that that makes sense that they can see themselves doing this doing whatever it is using this technology delivering this particular type of experience um that enables you to communicate between the two because every every profession develops a professional language which is kind of inherently exclusionary um and i mean one of the, I, we often find ourselves in the position of being in between you know designers and architects and digital people and the robotics guy over there and the curator who knows every single nut and bolt on the on the concord or whatever it is you know and everyone thinks that their their piece of information or their perspective is the most important um so finding finding the ways and means to communicate between those different groups i think is is absolutely essential um and then in terms of in terms of the technology i think thinking about the the qualities of a technology to deliver a particular type of storytelling experience i think is is being led by being led by the story being led by the content and the principles and then marrying that with the right technologies that can achieve that um has been i mean that's it's not the only way it's the approach that 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 we use um has been has been effective and it 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 often means that you end up with a clever strategy for content development being kind of more important than a clever technological solution for delivering that content um because you know it's it's like with a car you know i don't need to know how it works to know that i can get to a from a to b with it um like a user doesn't need to know how clever or not the tech is that they're using as long as it intuitively and effectively gets them from a to b and gives them an experience in between um so yeah audience is absolutely clear communication um and finding a common language um has been yeah is is essential um and then yeah being being led by by the story and the narrative i think um and one of the thing i mean i'm i'm working with uh students we do the collaborative project at Loughborough University um each year and this year we're getting them to look at interactive immersive tech and accessibility um and you know organizations museums have a particular goals that they're trying to hit um we want more people with disability coming to our museum um and then you go and talk to people from that community and quite often there's not really an alignment between what the museum is trying to achieve and what that community really wants and needs and what they want and need might be something 
a whole lot more simple than what the museum thinks, or it might be just just different. In fact, it's it's a bit of a bit of the journey that 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 the organisation hasn't considered. Um, so yeah, that 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 research and kind of developing, getting to know getting to know your audiences, um, and just in terms of how that then kind of influences the narrative. Like the example I gave them was, so if you took the Natural History Museum, it teaches people about natural history and the natural world. But what if, and so that's their kind of their, their core narrative, like the place to come and learn about natural history. But what if they, as a museum, they decided to say, we are the museum where there are no barriers to access. And that was the story that they told about themselves. Yes, it's about dinosaurs and yes, it's about, you know, evolution, all these other things. But actually what they're trying to do and what they're trying to achieve is different. There's a whole range of different ways to do that. Some of which will be with technology, but some of which will be operations. Some of it will be communication. Some of it will be uh, architecture, you know, or community engagement. Um, so I think there's, there's always more than one way to skin a cat in that sense um and not getting i mean don't get me wrong you can absolutely take the approach of going here's a piece of technology what are the interesting things we could do with this piece of technology um but often it's other people coming to you with their problems that makes you realize oh i can use that technology for a whole bunch of different things that i'd never even considered um, so yeah, so so making it making it available for people to play with, and then actually kind of listening to that feedback and responding to it as well. So you're very much kind of taking the user centric approach to the whole process. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's user centric, and I suppose, uh, I mean, we, we call it like a narrative thinking approach, but it is that sense of if. If this is who you are and what you're trying to be in the world, and these are the things that make you unique, then how do we stitch those together and make them as accessible for the people who you're trying to reach as possible? Um, and there'll be a range of high and low tech elements that sit within that, um, but not always jumping towards the highest or the most kind of the latest technology um, when there are often a range of other things that can be stitched together that people already know how to use. For example, this kind of piggybacking on people's kind of natural behaviors um, and ways of interacting with, with tech and with spaces um, is really interesting. So I think there's a, a, as you say, kind of user-centric, but also using technology to enhance a human, uh, a human experience, but also human to human connection, um, and not to detract from that. What you've talked about there, you raised some really interesting points, and um, some of what you've discussed is, I think, stuff that a lot of people would find interesting. Thank you very much for your time, Peter. Um, I don't want to keep you any longer. So, uh, no, again, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for agreeing to uh, talk to me today. No, thank you for inviting me. It was, uh, it was a pleasure. And hopefully we'll speak again soon. Indeed, indeed. Thank you and take care.
A passionate storyteller and innovator, Peter gives pause for thought when thinking about how we apply technology and when thinking about what is beneficial to the project, story and audience.